Welcome back. It's me, the Susan Anime, and you are listening to Sloth Under the Sea with me. And we will be talking about movies, TV shows, books, fun holidays, everything from other countries to does this still hold up to this day? From, like, rub brats to, like, as told by Ginger, to Movie Monday, to True Creepy Things Tuesday, to whatever I feel like talking about, because this is my podcast, and I hope you all will stay and listen to me and have some good old-fashioned podcast fun, and we'll try to stay as calm as we can, but let's get into it, and let's all have some fun listening, and you can also see me sometimes on YouTube doing my podcast as well. Okay, here we go. Okay. For a movie, Monday, Monday, Monday. I can't really lost my voice that much. I'm going to talk about a movie I've actually watched years ago. I was going to put it on the does it still hold up? And then I didn't have a movie for this week because the movie I wanted to watch was not easy to find. At all. Zero percent of it was easy to find. It was very hard to, uh, okay, now I'm losing. Oh, there we go. Okay, so the movie I picked is a movie I've seen years ago. And it's called Fired Up. And it's a very weird movie. On Rotten Tomatoes, Fired Up is from 2009, comedy, one hour and 29 minutes. It is not, it would not hold up at all. It sexualizes women, it makes fun of gay people, it makes fun of a lot of things. A lot of things. But it's also kind of cheesy, which is why people like it. It's a good movie. It's just not good in the sense of, like, would it still hold up in 2022? No. And it was a prop note of time, but it's still funny. And some of the jokes are like, it's so stupid. So on Rotten Tomatoes, it's PG-13. It got 24 to meter on a 107 reviews and for 52% audience score, 1,000 rating. Though not as ratchet or juvenile as the average teen comedy fired up, is also not as funny. It could be a little messy. It is what it is. It's a campy movie. It's a campy comedy that knows it's campy. They know it. They are very weird. And fire it up. Yeah. If you look at the sign, they go, fire it up. And, uh, well, this is my adult channel. I don't want to say it. Fire it up is, um, it capitalized the F and the U and fired up. You know. Two high school jocks decide to ditch their annual football training season for cheerleading camp, where they think their ruse 
will result in plenty of hookups. Yeah, they're going to cheer camp to get babes. It's ironic though because they definitely have a bromance between them. Definitely a bromance. Fired up in a 2009 American teen sex comedy film. Okay, plot. Nick and Braddy and Sean Colfax are two popular football players at the fictional Gerald R. Ford High School who managed to get out of football camp and later calm their way into cheerleading squad after overhearing a conversation about the camp's abdent female population of 300 cheerleaders. Their objective is to infiltrate the cheerleading camp in order to meet girls. While attending a cheer camp, Nick and Sean realize that they actually enjoy cheering and they start to care about their squad, as well as the cheer competition. Sean develops feelings for the head cheerleader, Carly Davison, and Nick chases after Doria, their camp coach's wife. That one's a little messed up. Yeah. Compet okay. Carly and the rest of the squad soon find out the bully's true motives for attending cheer camp. Carly's boyfriend, Dr. Rick. He is definitely a Dr. Rick, alright. Ooh, he is just annoying. I thought the other two were just kind of like my brothers and kind of annoying in a weird sense. This guy is just like, oh, I call myself Dr. Rick even though I'm not a doctor. And I'm so handsome. Like, okay. And I'm awesome and everyone loves me. Dude, get over yourself. Just a little. And then he's calling his girlfriend Charlie, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, really. Curly Frog's like, dude, what the heck are you talking about? Calm down with yourself. Also reveals that Nick and Sean initially planned to leave cheer camp over cheer competition. They leave camp after being rejected from the squad while attending a party at their friend's house, the guys discover that they are generally fond of cheer camp and want their squad to succeed. They decide to return to cheer camp and help the squad in their cheer competition. While the guys are doing the routine, Charlie notices Rick is cheating on her with their rival head cheerleader, Gwen. Sean and Charlie later focus all of their attention to the routine. The squad read Unites results in the best finish yet, with a perfect attempt at executing the Fountain of Troy, which is apparently a really hard cheerleading move in this movie, and don't, they're like, do not do this. And the dude was just like, dude, I spoke Spanish, how can you not know what I'm saying? When if Sean and Charlie later, oh wait. However, when the squad goes for executing the forbidden and menu, like it's Forbidden. Sean accidentally goes for a triple backflip instead of a double like Carly and backflips into the water in front of them. The crowd gasps at the impact and the squad rushes to help, but Sean manages to emerge yells tigers before losing consciousness. Although the squad did not win the contest, they placed 10 spots better than they did last year. 
adult and so Nick and Sean end up with the love interest and Sean and Carly kissing each other. Okay, so this is gonna get a little ratchy. A little bad. A little... This is just gonna be bad. Okay, although the guys say that the coach says, Oh, don't I have to? S-H-I-T ten times? He actually only says it nine. Oof. Uh, excuse my language. Dory Anna McCoyett's audition director will ask her to improv a panther move. She did a first pound claw and growl and thought nothing of it. After her first day on set, he asked her to do it for the camera, and her trademark panther's out move ended up being a running joke throughout the film. Although playing a high school senior, Eric Olsen was actually 31 years old at the time of that it was filming. The Spanish word for forbidden phase mispronunciation severe as a running joke throughout the movie is actually prohibited. Submitted to the MPAA 18 times before it was given its final PG-13 rating. The two scenes during the kit movie night were found from the movie Bring It On. Oh, really? The two scenes during the camp's movie night were from the movie Bring It On and were video cameras of Kristen Dunst and Liz Liza. Donna said she found this impressive <coughs> during a Bring It On cast reunion. Written by four writers, created simply as Freedom Jones. Nick's line, Rocky, me, sexy Jesus. What the heck? This movie is so weird. It is so, like, it is so campy that it can be a little funny at times and a little like, what? Reference the main musical number for Hamlet, too. Actors... Jake and Juliet both had minor roles in the movie Easy A. Margo Hansman and Eric Olsen's photo story in NCIS, Margo as McGee's wife, and Eric in NCIS Los Angeles. Okay, Fired Up is a really weird campy movie that like teenagers like to watch. But it's kind of mean and inappropriate, and they cuss a lot. It's like inappropriate things. Okay. I can't believe I'm doing this. Since this is a cheerleading movie and there is not much on Fire Dome because it is so old and bizarre, I figured I'd give you some facts about cheerleading. Okay, let me start off with this. Back in the day, I used to hate cheerleaders. Probably because my sister made me try out for two different cheerleading teams, and the first one we didn't get in, and the second one, it, it never made it. It got disbanded. Because, uh, we were going to be uh, church cheerleaders, and then they, for basketball players, the team ended up being disbanded. That happened a lot where I lived because when we tried out for a soccer team, there wasn't enough players, so that got disbanded. 
I tried for color guard and then that got disbanded the second year I was gonna do it. A lot of our teams got disbanded. Because we didn't have enough players. And I was a gymnast. So I guess to me cheerleading was a little weird at the time. And then as I got older, I started respecting it and being like, and you know, mean cheerleaders kind of make it hard. I had a lot of mean cheerleaders that were kind of snobby. But when you watch them and you realize what goes into it, you get respect for it. Just like any sport. There's a lot more that goes into it than people think. Even I didn't know everything that went into it until I started watching and listening and, you know, I like cheerleaders after a while, but at the same time, like, the ones that I had growing up were just mean, and I was kind of a bad cast, so it was just one of those situations where you don't like it because of the whole situation. They didn't like me, I didn't like them. As I got older, I'm like, cheerleading is a lot, like, gymnastics with dance, and then you also have to, like, it's harder than it looks. Especially if you do, like, the competitions. Because some of them, you have to, like, be perfect. That's the one thing I hated about, like, gymnastics, ballet. You had to be perfect in ballet. You had to be super skinny. You had to be like, tall. You had to be graceful. And, like, cheerleading, you have to execute it, right? Just like gymnastics. And I like gymnastics, cheerleading. I like sports. Will I watch them here? Do I respect them? Yeah, I respect all sports better than I used to. Could I play a sport? Eh. Uh, I wanted to try out for football when I was younger, and let's just say that that was a terrible idea. I'm accident prone. Even when I was a tomboy. I didn't care, but it happened. Like, I could get into a whole story about getting hurt on a ride at like a fair. Like, it, okay, fine, I'll talk about it. On a football fair, I decided, I was kind of mad at someone, I forget why, it was probably really stupid, or it might have been just because I had a bad day. You know, when I was a kid, I was in an abusive area, and, you know, mentally and physically abused from different people to not help. So, it could have just been too much. Well, I decided to duck under and when I scooped back up, I cut the top of my eyebrow. And I still have the scar. You just have to look like really close because if the eyebrow grows into it, you can't see it. But it was bleeding so bad. The woman was like, are you okay? And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, you are bleeding on your head. And I don't want to tell anyone at the time, but I was so lightheaded and dizzy. And I've seen the stars, and I was like, okay. She's like, we need to take you to the first date. I'm like, why? She's like, because you're bleeding really bad. And she's like, at first she couldn't tell. She's like, is that your hair or blood? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I had to go over there, and I was literally like, maybe 10, 12. Like, I would not have done well in sports. I would have been killed by just the ball itself trying to come at me. I got hurt by a bathroom toilet. I got hurt by an amusement park ride. 
I got hurt by a plastic knife and a cat and basic things, so that wouldn't have been good. But do I have more respect for it now as, as I'm older? Yes. Did I have respect for it back then? No. No, I'll admit, I learned my lesson. And, you know, I tried to be respectful of everybody, but, like, it's a lot harder when you were a kid. And then when you get older, you try to respect more and more people. It's very interesting. Very weird. I will give you some information on cheerleading and moves and different things. In a few moments, I'm going to pause you for an ad break, I guess. Welcome back. It's me, the Susan Anime, and you are listening to Sloth Under the Sea with me. We will be talking about movies, TV shows, books, fun holidays, everything from other countries to does this still hold up to this day? From like rub rats to like as told by Ginger to Movie Monday to True Creepy Things Tuesday to whatever I feel like talking about because this is my podcast. And I hope you all will stay and listen to me and have some good old fashioned podcast fun and we'll try to stay as calm as we can but let's get into it and let's all have some fun listening and you can also see me sometimes on youtube doing my podcast as well okay here we go i just wanted to get a disclaimer that this episode may contain Conspiracy theories about weed growth. Spoilers. Could be mature. Please do not listen if you do not want to have any spoilers. I am reviewing different shows, movies, TV shows, so if you do not want to hear any spoilers, please exit now. And I hope you all enjoy this podcast. I'm ready and excited to get going. Okay, today, the content could be a little more mature for audiences, so please, as someone before listening to this video, it's mature and may be uncomfortable for some viewers. Viewer discussion is advised. Be cautious. This is more for adults or for those who get permission. Let's just get into it. For Movie Monday, for Love of a Child. For Love of a Child is a 2006 Lifetime TV network television movie which aired on January 9th, 2006 and 1975. A young boy named Jacob Falter, who lives in fear of his abusive father, calls a hotline for abused children one day and is quickly taken to a rehabilitation center. Faculty run by Child Help USA, the story of the Child Help USA fund founders Sarah O'Mara and Vaughn Ferdersen unfolds through a series of flashbacks to the 1960s when a, a trip to, the, to Japan inspires them to start a nonprofit foundation 
dedicate to helping child ch abuse children. Children Help is a U.S. nonprofit organization dedicated to the preventive and treatment of child abuse. Founded in 1959 as International Orphanage Inc. by Sarah and Vaughn. Children Help is one of the largest nonprofit child abuse prevention and treatment organizations in the nation. It operates facilities in California, Virginia, Tennessee, and Arizona. The Children National Child Help, the National Child Abuse Hotline Service of all the United States, its Terry's and Canada. The organization also distributes Child Help, Speak Up, Be Safe a Child Based Abuse and Bullying Prevention Program. The organization offers a wide variety of services, not only to abuse and neglected children, but to treatment professional educators, parents, foster care families, the community, and law enforcement professionals. Though various communities outreach efforts, Child Help has tried to increase awareness about child abuse. As part of those efforts in 2000, Child Help established the National Day of Hope. It is observed every year on the first Wednesday of April during National Child Abuse Prevention Month in 2009. The organization celebrated its 50th anniversary. Child Help relieves upon private donations to expand its operation services across the nation. According to a 2007 report by the U.S. Department of Health and Humane Services, almost five children die every day to child abuse and neglect, and millions more reports are made every year of abuse. Jacob Felter turns out his parents buried... Okay, so, I'll get into this story. It starts with this boy who grabs the phone, hides in the closet, literally calls them, his dad screaming, and his mom's like, don't hide, don't hide, it's just going to make it worse, just get it over with. And the dad's shouting and carrying it on and acting like a crazy person. He calls the child help service line, and guess what? They answered. He got the courage to call them, but then the phone he hungs, hangs up, sadly. Then he decides to call back, which is so amazing. But, sadly, as much, like, it, he stayed on long enough for them to find him. But, unfortunately, his dad catches him, literally drags him by the leg, out of the closet. I don't even know why I'm doing these emotions, but anyway. Out of the closet. And then chains him to the bed with whippings. And when the police arrive, they found him chained to the bed with bruises and night terrors. And he goes with this woman who just transferred, I think, to the child health facility. And then you meet this really unfortunate girl whose mother's boyfriend decides to literally take a razor to her face and she has a giant scar on her face and you hear about the horrible things he does to her he puts her in a bathtub with water that is boiling hot as hot as it could get throws her in pushes her underwater 
one time he got so mad at her, he's like, I'm cutting your hair to make you ugly. And he cut all of her hair off. And then, you know, she is, uh, then you, she talks about the razor incident. And it's like, dad. And then you meet Michael. Oh my goodness, I'm going to start crying already. Because Michael is the sweetest, nicest, littlest boy you could ever meet. He was the sweetest thing. He was nice to Jacob when he first came there. And everyone loved him. And who really did? Michael, when Jacob saw him turn around on his back in cigarette burns, said, bad boy. Literally on his back. In burns. Giant. Not even... So... And he's like, I can't wait to see my mom. My mom, my mom, and my mom. And he talks about his mom all the time. But it turns out that his mom's the one who did it to him. And she gets custody back. And Michael leaves. Even though there's like a party. And you get to like Michael. He has a story. It doesn't just jump from there. Like there's a Halloween party. Michael and Jacob hang out. Michael and Jacob talk together. Michael and Jacob are like BFFs. Michael and Jacob are share a room because they're roommates. They had a Halloween party. And when his mom gets custody, they talk about having a trip together. Well, okay, break out your tissues because I'm gonna need them at this point. The next day, or a few days later. I'm not sure exactly if it was in the next day or a few days later or a week, but it was definitely pretty soon. He ended up dead. Little Michael ended up dead due to his mother, who he, oh, I'm crying because he was like, I can't wait to see my mom. I love my mom. And she killed him. And everyone was in tears because he was such a sweet, loving boy who did no harm to anyone. And he was, he had some, like him and Jacob both had some delays, you could tell. And I forget the girl with the scar on her face, what her name is. Oh my goodness, I feel so bad that I don't remember her exact name. But she had a picnic with her mom and her mom's like oh he didn't abuse her he didn't sexually assault her well guess what he's in jail for doing that and she's like listen mom and I love this little girl she's like listen if you're gonna have him around we I am not going to live with you I'm not going to spend time with you I am not doing anything you want to do you want to bring him back in my life, then I am not going with you. I am not talking to you. I don't want anything to do with you. She is a strong little girl. And then, like, there's a scene where her, her sister and her mom decide to have a picnic, and the mom finally decides. She's like, honey, you know what? She said, I think he should be allowed back in the house. And she was like, no. And the lady was like, no. Do you not know why she doesn't want him. Do you not know why all this happened? And the mom, like, was in denial. And the little girl was like, I want the scar on my face gone. And they medically removed it, which was amazing and so uplifting for her. And the mom realized, hey, you know what? You're right. I want you in my life. I don't care about him. 
I need you, I love you, I will do what I can. And of course, the services will keep an eye. So it was great to see her, like, realize that some of her behavior was pretty bad. And poor Jacob was hardly talking. There was a scene where he drew himself, like, as a person. And then he started insulting himself and ripping the paper up. And it was so devastating because he barely talked. And people weren't sure if he could. And then he got mad at a cow. And this other guy was there. And he's like, no, don't hurt the cow. The cow has been abused and it was here because it wants to help others and it needed help because someone poured acid on it. And it was a prized cow. And so they used some of the animals for therapy and this guy, he's tall and very nice. He becomes friends with Jacob and helps him. But Jacob, like, ran away because he was told his parents are going to get him back and they're going to keep him and they said that to him and next thing you know he runs away and the guy follows he's like hey what are you doing out here do you have money like he's trying to and so he's like let me buy you some food and give you some money and then eventually he goes back to the facility and here's where things get a little weird he gets mad at a doll he decides that the doll has a like the dollhouse has like a little garden. And he takes a shovel. No, that's right, the dollhouse doesn't have a garden. He takes the doll into the barnyard area for the animals, takes a shovel, puts the bear baby in the ground, and people are like, wait, what is he doing? He's like, the baby goes in the ground. The baby goes in the ground. And they realized at that point, and I'm going to cry, that his parents were burying him alive in the backyard with a straw. And the cops were called. And the neighbor's like, I'm not really sure what was going on. We keep to ourselves. And the little boy's shoe and straw was still there from when they buried him in the backyard and not only did they bury him in the backyard they took photos of every single thing they did to him from the scars to the abuse to every single thing I don't even know how that kid had the courage to do it I didn't have courage when I was being mentally and sometimes physically but they were smart they didn't leave anything because they knew they knew he was a tough little cookie and so were some of those other children there was the Halloween night where they dressed up, they did some poetry and the girl with the scar, this is right after her surgery and she was like, I feel great about myself, I feel good and she was starting to trust her mom some more so she decided to, I forget if she decided to go live with her or if she was like going to visit her more and the people there are like, are you sure? is that what you want? We will try to help as best as we can, but if you ever get back into a situation, you call us immediately. And another little boy who was Jacob and I think it was Michael, I could be wrong, roommate, he wasn't really seen in the movie that much, but he got adopted, which was amazing. And I think Michael asked him, Jacob, do you want to be adopted? And he's like, I think I'd just rather stay here. I feel safe here. This is where I want to 
be. And it was kind of really sad to realize that this little boy was tied to a bed, buried alive, mentally, physically, verbally, and all types of abuse. And his dad was a hotshot lawyer, so people didn't really want to do anything. And when they moved, the complaints didn't move with them. And then, at the very end, it shows a grown-up Jacob. And he goes and talks to the ladies, and he had, like, a college thing, got a good job. And they're like, there's someone here you could help. And he's like, I want to work here and help who I can, which was amazing. But there's other scenes in the movie where there's flashbacks where the women are in Japan and they're singing. I think it was, um, oh, it was for the army. Oh, I forget exactly what it was called. There's a specific name for it. Was it SOS? Was it Union? They would go overseas and Japan sing for them. And one night they come across a group of kids in thunder, lightning, storm, soaked head to toe, and they hadn't eaten for months. So they asked the cab driver to put them all in the car, and they go from place to place to facility to facility, rejecting them because they were half American and half Japanese, is what the movie said. And they take them to the hotel room, they give them food, water, towels, they help them, and when the maid found out, they gave her a cashmere sweater or cashmere scarf and said, very nice, very pretty, very expensive. Will you take to keep quiet? And she's like, yes, because she realized that she was helping not only that, but she like, I think said yes, because she knew they were helping children that needed it. And they finally found this one woman who said she would take them if she had the money and food. And the people in the group, the, I forget if it was the army or the navy, it was the, the group in the military region, I forget, USO? And he's like, oh, I'm not, like, they, she was like, he was upset about it, and they're like, what would you do if it was your children? And so when they went to the woman's house and she gave the kids what little food, the orphanage or foster care at that time, I'm not really sure what they called it had all the troops came there and they were scared at first and they're like no they're with us and gave them food and then they tried to rescue a group of people in a plane and get them to safety from another country I forget but still Japan or somewhere else and sadly not all of them made it which made them very upset they have tried to save every children from this story I'm a, I think it's based on true events and it's amazing because it is like they did so much good. I don't know if I would have had the courage if I was those kids. Like some of those things. And that little girl with the scar on her face, she was amazing. She hated herself. She went through some pretty bad thoughts. And then she expressed herself through some art therapy and then she was like, it's time to see if they could get rid of the scar. It's time to move on. And it's time to try to trust her mom, is what she said. And Jacob never was with his parents again, thank gosh. Another kid 
one to adoption, another one sadly died. But they have tried to save as many people as they could in the movie, and they talk about it, and it was amazing and interesting. And if you have the time, I would say watch it, but you might need tissues. If you want to see, like, a sad, sad, sweet, empowering movie. Because, like, I didn't know what was wrong with me for quite a while. And I was having nightmares and flashbacks and screaming. And when I came through this movie, I realized there's something going on that kind of, like, some of the things that happened to them was familiar to what happened to me. I had even a person try to, like, they opened the oven and said, oh, you misbehave, we're going to put you in the oven. And I'm like, okay, I'm terrified now. Could I please, like, go away? Like, I'm scared of ovens to this day. And I realized after watching this movie and them talk about PTSD and art therapy and therapists, it's like, there's a couple of things that help me. This and uh, Law and Order SVU's victims that I finally was like, it's time to get help. And I hope this thing is still happening today. I hope these women are still around. But I would say get the movie a look. It's pretty heartwarming, sad. It has a lot of emotions. Okay, I'll try to watch something happier soon so y'all can talk about that. And of course, tomorrow's True Creepy Things Tuesday, so just watch out because it could be about hanging. It could be about creepy things in history. It could be about anything, really. Or it could just be something fun. We'll see. I got a book called Believe It or Not, and we'll see what happens. Um... I'll try to not be so depressing next Monday. I'll try to watch, or if it is, I saw this one, like, clip, and it was half depressing and half comedy, and I was very confused and intrigued, so I might check that out. And, you know, keep a listen, check out my YouTube, TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, Patreon, my uh, gummy bears, which is more kid-friendly facts. Don't worry, there's nothing this depressing over on the kids' channel. Ever. Because it's the kids' one. I hope y'all have a great and wonderful week, and I hope y'all enjoyed and we learned something from this. If you need help, ask for it. If you find someone you could trust, talk to them. If there's nothing you feel like you can do, maybe look up some movies that could help you realize that you're not in the right situation and get out before it becomes PTSD or worse. Trust me. And if you don't have the courage to do any of that, you could pray to whoever you believe in. You could think happy thoughts. Keep your mind focused. If you're like, I'm going to get through this until I'm like a certain age so I can bounce, read books, stay up, go to a friend's house, find someone you trust. I did a lot of that. I stayed with friends a lot, and their parents kind of knew. I helped out with teachers, and they kind of, like, cut me. And if you find people like these two women who help these kids, that would be great. I'll have to see if this is still around today. I don't know. It says 2006, and I wonder if it's still around in 2022. It'll be interesting. But definitely check out the movie. Okay.
And welcome back to the cringiest podcast apparently on the podcast market today. What do I know? I know nothing. One, I am tired. Two, the weather around here has been ridiculously crazy. Raining. Sunny. Raining. Sunny. Thunderstorm. Super sunny. It's ridiculous. So, if my podcast goes in and out, I'm sorry. But shouldn't because we have a generator because we have so many issues. We live in like the I don't know if it's suburbs or urban. We have foxes in our backyard, but also we have like bridges. It's very weird out here. (laughs) It's very weird. I'm using my little unicorn phone chair. And I do not have my headphones plugged in because they are on charge. Okay, movie Monday. Okay, so I'm so bad and I'm so sorry. I didn't move that already seen multiple times, but I wanted to talk about it because I am obsessed with this movie. It helped me when I realized, wait, some of the stuff I went through was abuse. I didn't think it was, but apparently it was. Wait, there was someone who could have helped me? Oh, dang, I wish I would have known about that. You mean Dyfus being called 15 to 20 times was not uh, literally going to help? Yeah, apparently they can't do much. Your parents sometimes mentally more than physically harm you, so they can't really do anything? Yeah, still messes with you though? Yep. And that movie is called A Love for a Child. Okie dokie, artichokey, it's time for an ad break slash sponsor. So I hope y'all listen and keep on tuning in, because we will continue this conversation after our ad slash sponsor. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast today. And the sponsor and ad will be right back. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast. Please stay tuned because the ad is coming up soon. And with the ad coming up soon, I know y'all might want to skip it, but you should at least try to listen to some of it. Maybe it's important. I hope y'all tune back in for more of this podcast. And I hope the ad and sponsor is a good one, Artichokey. Okie dokie, Artichokey. Ad break is now. So I promised y'all this week would be Friday week. For Movie Monday, I watched Growing Up Brady, a tale, all story. What happened behind the scenes of the hit TV series, The Brady Bunch, 1969. It is based on the book written by Barry Williams, the actor who played Greg Brady, which we will be also talking about on Bookland. Because I'll be reading that book along with Marcia's book and... All that jazz. Yes, I know that's Chicago. Not the right movie for this. Ooh, I should do a musical week. Ooh, if I do a musical week. We'll see. Growing Up Brady is a 2000 American made for television bigger biography film based on the 1992 autobiography Growing Up Brady. I was a teenage Greg written by actor Barry Williams with Chris 
directed by Richard A. Cullen. It starred Adam Kaylee Kyoko as a teenager, maybe even a little younger. Yeah, that's right. If you, she plays Penny on The Big Bang Theory. Danielle Hugh Kelly and Michael Tucker and was originally broadcast May 21st, 2000 NBC. The movie is about the production of the 1969 to 1974 ABC sitcom The Brady Bunch on which Williams played young grade Brady with backstage drama among the cast and the show's producers. However, at the time, some of the scenes have been slightly altered from what actually occurred in real life. The film is dedicated to the memory of Robert Reed. Sadly, he passed away. Barry Williams produced this buzzing chronicle of his days on and off the set of the famed TV series Robert Reed, Danielle, Kaylee, Kyle, McCormick, director, so Barry Williams, narrator, Adam Brody, Barry Williams, Danielle, Kelly, Robert Reed, Rebecca Bush, Florence Henderson, Kelly Coco, Marie McCormick, Caitlin Klum, Eve Palmer, Carl Schroeder, Suzanne Olson, Scott Lincolnland, Michael Lincolnland, Scott Michael Lincolnland, Michael Lincolnland, Suzanne Spoke, Amby Davis, Michael Tucker, Sweewood Switz, Michael Fadiman, Mike Lincolnland, Barbara, Marine McAdams, Shortwood Switz himself, Alan Wolf, Mark Otzes, Barry Williams. So I'm just giving you what I could find, which means I'll have to talk a little bit about other things as well. Okay. Think you know everything about Greg, Peter, Barbie, Marsha, Jen, Sydney, Mike, Carol, Alice, and people who played them? Think again. Former drunken golf cart race actor, the Paramount lot to make out seasons in Tiger's Doghouse and Sydney's near drowning in Hawaii. Barry Williams tells the real Brady story. Previously hidden behind the carefully groomed facade of TV's favorite family, this collect editors of Growing Up Brady is packed with the first-hand memories and newly published photos and updated information on the cast, crew, and creator of the Brady Bunch. It's the most detailed document or one of the television's most popular shows as told from the insider. Forget about the rumors and find out the real story of internet Brady dating, behind the scenes battles, and the real people behind the bunch. About the Orpher, Barry Williams was 14 and already a veteran actor when he landed the role of Greg Brady. Since the show ended, he has used his diverse talents as an entertainer and singer to head a successful business in corporate and in
international events as well as starring and guest starring in numerous TV shows and in musical theaters on Broadway and across the country. Barry recently moved from Southern California to New York City to live with his new wife Ella Mary Matt, an investment banker. Chris Carls is the head of writing of the Martin Short Show and has written The Daily Show as well as many other cable comedy shows. His other books include Star Trek Memories, Get a Life, All This William Shatner, The Text. Okay, Barry Williams, born September 30th, 1954, known professionally as oh, Barry William Blackhorn. Known as Barry Williams, is an American actor and singer best known for his role as the oldest of the Brady Sons grave on the ABC television series The Brady Bunch. Originally called The Brady Broods. Early life and career. Williams, the youngest of three boys, was born in 1954 in Santa Monica, California to Doris May Moore a Canadian-born Frank Miller Blackhorn of English, Scots, and German ancestry. Barry and siblings Craig and Scott Blackhorn grew up in Pacific Paradise, California, where actor Peter Graves was a neighbor. Williams decided as a child that he wanted to act, and in 1967, he made his television debut in a Christmas episode of Darkman, 1967, Williams continued to be cast in guest roles on the TV series, including Adam-12, The Invaders, That Girl, Mission Impossible, The Mob, Mood Squad, Here Comes the Bride, Gomer, Pyle, Highway to Heaven, and Bartley, The Scavenger, before the cast in 1969 as Greg on The Brady Bunch. Later career, following the cancellation of the Brady Bunch in 1974, I don't know why they didn't just let them have one last episode. Instead of just canceling it, give them like one last episode. It would have been interesting, but they have five seasons. I mean, that's what I grew up with. You were lucky to get four. And if you did, sometimes they wouldn't keep the... It, it, it would be different. It's weird. The following cancellation of the Brave Bunch in 1974, Williams continued to appear in guest roles on television and became involved in musical theater, touring with production as Grease, The Sound of Music, Pippin, The West Side Story. In 1988, Williams appeared on Broadway in the musical Romance, Romance with Tony Award nominee Allison Fasser. Williams took over the lead male role of Alfred and Sam when Scott Bankle left the production. Years later, Williams was able to capture, capitalize on being typecast's Greg Beatty, admired a position of appearance in TV and movies that played up his famous teen role. He ended up landing a role that was determined for the Brady image. He was taped to play English con man 
Hannibal in 1984 who conspired with Holly Scott Scorpio on the top-rate general hospital. Williams had appeared in various Brady Bunch TV movies reunions, including the 1988 Christmas movie, A Very Brady Christmas. They also had uh, The Brady Kids, which we will talk about at some point. In 1989, Williams was honored by the Young Artists Foundation with the former co-star Lifetime Achievement Award for his role as Greg Brady. His 1992 autobiography, Growing Up Brady, I Was a Teenage Greg, co-write with Chris, was a New York bestseller and was adopted into a 2000 TV movie titled Growing Up Brady, starring Adam Brody as Williams. As Williams, in his 1992 autobiography, no, okay, I lost my place. In 2000, Williams sung a parody of Enemies, the real Slim Shady, called the real Greg Brady. The song was co-written by Williams, comedy writer and radio producer Dave Brody of Z100 and Y, Watts, a J Gilbert of Foggy. Radio in... I have no idea what that is. Williams appeared briefly as an audience member in 2002 music video of Peter Gibson's The Barry Williams Show. The song is actually about a fictional Jerry Springer-like talk show host, not the actor. Gabriel later revealed that he didn't know of the Brady Bunch star when he was, wrote the song. Williams has made multiple appearances as a paid featured dancer on the world's largest disco in Buffalo, New York. In 2000 and 2002, he played manager Dean the Merchant Strickland in 13 episodes of the sitcom Hollywood 7, which featured the British pop star group. S Club 7. I have no idea who half these people are. I feel young and old all in one. It's very creepy. In 2008, Williams appeared in episode 6 of the VH1 series Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew. Williams participated as a friend of the patient, China, and explained to her drug a group session how Trika had a native impact on his own life and career. In January 2010, he took a role in the Asylum Muckberg Mega Paramount, who played alongside the former teen pop star Tiffany. As of 2019, he makes Burson, Missouri his home and tours with the musical group Barry Williams and the Travelers. He also joined the other Brady kids in the 2019 television series A Brady, a Very Brady Reviation on HGTV in 2021. Williams starred in the Lifetime Christmas movie Blending Christmas alongside his Brady co-host star Christopher Knight, Mike Lincolnland, Susan Olsen, and Robert Rist. With the death of Florence Harrison on November 24, 2016, Williams became the oldest surviving adult cast member from the Brady Bunch. In January 2000, 
Williams was fined five fifty-two thousand by Actors Equipment Association, the union, requesting stage actors for starring as Capital Vaughn Troop and the non-union tour of Sound of Music. According to Variety, the production was picked in several cities. Williams responded by filling a complement with the National Labor Relation Board, agreeing that the fine was illegal because he had registered from the union in 2000 before the tour began. Equality alleged that Williams, who joined the union in 1974, was still a member when he had begun contract navigations for the role. Williams was restrained by Actors Gill as a member in good standing in 2005 after he ununifies a non-equitting production of A Christmas Carol in late 2004. Run for Your Life Television, Run for Your Life, Target, 1967, The FBI, That Girl, Here Comes the Bride, It Takes a Thief, The Brady Bunch, Hosting Connor, and Mission Impossible, The ABC Saturday Superstar Movie, The World of Sid and Morty, Flea, Goodnight Jack, The Brady Bunch Movie, Wind in the Streets, The Brady's A Very Brady Christmas, Murder She Wrote. Hey, I actually saw the show um, that popped on Raku, which is kind of funny. My stuff's like, you could watch him. Like, the dog doesn't like that. He's like, it's not scary. And I'm like, then I would get mad. <laughs> I didn't even know he was in there. That's so funny. Night Friendly, Night of the Headless Horseman. Oh, The Headless Horseman. That 70s show. Jeff, we will rock you. Scrubs. I didn't even realize he did some of these. Ant Farm. Game show host. America needs talent. Bigfoot. The Loud House. Oh, my daughter loves Loud House. A Very Brady Revolution. Dragging the classic The Brady Bunch. Begin Christmas. So what do you think of Brady Week? Let me know in the comments below. Okie dokie, artichoke. It's time for an ad break slash sponsor. So I hope y'all listen and keep on tuning in because we will continue this conversation after our ad slash sponsor. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast today. And the sponsor and ad will be right back. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast. Please stay tuned because the ad is coming up soon. And with the ad coming up soon, I know y'all might want to skip it, but you should at least try to listen to some of it. Maybe it's important. I hope y'all tune back in for more of this podcast. And I hope the ad and sponsor is a good one, Artichokey. Okay, dokie, Artichokey. Ad break, it's now. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about the Brady Bunch movie and the sequel. The 
Brady Bunch Movie. The Brady Bunch Movie is a 1995 American comedy film that parodies the 1969 to 1974 television series The Brady Bunch. The film was directed by Betty Thomas with a screenplay by Elk, Rick Kopp, and Bonnie and Terry Turner, and stars Shelley Long, Gray Cole, and Michael Cannon. It also features cameos from Dave Jones, Mikey Daltz, Peter, and Rule Paul, along with some of the original cast of The Brady Bunch in small roles. The first the film placed the original sitcom characters with their 1970s fashion sense and sitcom family morality in a comparing 1990s setting during humor for the resulting culture clash. The Brady movie was released in the United States on February 17, 1995 and grossed $54 million. A sequel later titled A Very Brady Sequel was revealed on August 23, 1996 and a television film titled The Brady Bunch in the White House was aired on November 29, 2002. Plot. Larry and Un special real estate developer explains to his superior supervisor that almost all the families in his neighborhood except for the Brady family have agreed to sell their property as part of a plan to turn the area into a shopping mall. At the Brady house Mike and Carol are having breakfast prepared by the housekeeper Alice with the six children pre preparing for school. Janice jealous of her older popular sister Marcia. Sydney is tattling about everything she hears. Greg is dreaming of becoming a singer. Peter is beginning puberty with his voice starting to break and the numerous tolerance he is exposed to. Notably sex education and his very attractive Teacher Miss Laney, he is also trying to win the affection of the girl he loves, Holly, but his shy and awkward personality prevents him from doing so, or so he thinks. Bobby is excited about his new role as hall mounter at school. Sydney makes Mike and Carol a tax collection notice, stating that they face foreclosure on their house if they don't pay. 20000 in back taxes. The two initially ignore the crisis, but when Mike's architectural design is turned down by two polite clients, he tells Carol they have may have to sell the house. Sydney overhears this and tells her siblings when they look for work to raise money to save the house but their earnings are nowhere near enough to reach the requirements. So, Mike manages to sell a Japanese company on one of his date designs, thereby securing the money only for Larry to subvote it by claiming that Mike's last building collapsed. On the night before the Bradys have to move out, Marcia suggests they enter a search for the stars contest the price, which is exactly $20,000. Jan has originally suggested this and been rejected. Runs away from home. Sydney sees 
her leave and toddles, and the whole family goes on a search for her. They use this car citizen band radio, and the transmission is heard by Shachi and B. Davis, a long-haul trucker who picks up Jan and convinces her to return home. The next day, the children join the search for the Starks contest. Peter finally builds the confidence to stand up to Eric, Peter, Torment, and Holly's boyfriend. This earns him a kiss from Holly, which gives him a deep, masculine voice. Masculine voice. The children date a performance receives a poor audience response compared to the more modern performance of the bands. However, the judges, Davy Jones, Mikey, and Peter Turk of the Monkees vote for them and they won the contest as a result. The tax bill is paid and their neighbors withdraw their homes from the market, following Larry's plan and securing the neighborhood. Later, Carol's mother arrives and finally convinces Jan to stop being jealous of Marsha only for Cindy to start feeling jealous of Jan. A Very Brady sequel is a 1996 American comedy film directed by Alan Schneiferd. A Very Brady sequel was released on August 23, 1996. One seemingly typical evening at the Brady house, a man claiming to be Carol's lost husband, Roy Martin, shows up at the suburban Brady residence. The Bradys believe his story about suffering from amnesia and having plastic surgery after being injured. Mike has been planning a second wedding slash renewal of vows for himself and Carol for an anniversary present without knowing. Although Roy's arrival throws a monkey wrench into things, throughout Roy's stay he is openly hesitant to them. His sarcasm and insults completely going over their heads. Peter, who's trying to decide what career to path to choose, starts idolizing and enlightening Roy, which frankly gets him into trouble at the architect film where Mike works. Architect film? Architect firm. Peter later mentions Roy talking about the big house and Mike learns it means prison, making him suspicious. Greg and Marsha both want to move out of their shared rooms and when neither wants to break down, they have to share the attic together. When Roy's arrival suggests that Claire and Mike might not be married, Greg and Marsha believe that they are technically not related. This leads them to realize that they are in love with each other but try to hide it from one another throughout the entire time together. Bami and City start detective agency hunting down their missing doll, and upon finding it, they stumble upon a photo revealing Ray's true intentions. He is actually a common name, Trevor Thomas, who is there to steal a fam horse statue that is actually $20 million ancient artifact. The kids reveal to Carol his plans and confront Trevor, who in turn kidnaps Carol and takes her hostage to Hawaii, where he plans to sell the artifact to Dr. Whitehead, 
a buyer in Hawaii, he also ties up the kids and Alice to keep them from intervening. Mike, now fully aware of Trevor's deception, having gone to the public with suspicion, frees them, and the family flees to Hawaii to save Carol and foil Trevor's plan. In Hawaii, Carol escapes from Trevor's clutches and manages to find her way to Dr. Wadahate's estate. Trevor gets there. It turns out Trevor was responsible for the boating accident that led to the disappearance of Dr. Whitehead's son, Gilligan. <coughs> okay, I can't. <laughs> I can't. I took off my headphones. I really can't with this. Oh, wow. Because the original Brady Bunch was... The, the producer made Gilligan's Island. Oh, wow. Dr. Whitehead's son Gilligan and Carol's first husband, a professor, in Dr. Whitehead's words. The minor is lost and he refuses to pay Trevor for the horse. Trevor attempts to hold Dr. Whitehead and Carol at gunpoint for payment, but Mike and the family arrive just in time to intervene. And after a brief scramble between the two men, in which Mike quickly gains the upper hand, Trevor is arrested and taken to jail. Dr. Rayhut offers to pay the Bradys the $20 million for the horse, but Mike declines the offer, claim, claiming it's a symbol of their togetherness. Cindy gives him her doll to console him as she's grow, outgrown it. After almost losing her mother, Jan, who made up a pretend boyfriend named George Glass, which was actually in the original Brady Bunch, in order to make herself seem more popular, meets a real boy named George Class during the family trip to Hawaii, and they become a couple. As Mike and Carol renew their vows in a ceremony held at home, Marsha agrees to let Greg have the attic to himself until he goes to college. The two share one last on-scene kiss before returning to being brother and sister. The movie ends with Carol tossing the bouquet and a genie named Genie. A genie named Genie. Arriving just in time to catch it, she claims to be Mike's Brady's first wife. Much to Mike and Carol's dismay. Yeah, that's just hilariously funny. Well, I hope y'all had a, a great day and a great Monday and hope y'all enjoyed this Growing Up Brady's and Brady Bunch movie review. It was interesting. It's the the Growing Up Brady's is behind the scenes and it's kind of interesting because he has some of the clips from the actual scenes and it gives you more facts and different things about what happened and why the dad wasn't in the last scene, which we will talk about probably tomorrow. I hope y'all have a great day. I hope y'all enjoyed and learned something. Don't forget to always be uniquely you. Okie dokie, artichoke, it's time for an ad break slash sponsor. So I hope y'all listen and keep on tuning in because we will continue this conversation after our ad slash sponsor. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast today. And the sponsor and ad will be right back. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast please stay tuned because the ad is coming up soon and with the ad coming up soon i know y'all might want to skip but you should at least try to listen to some of it maybe it's important i hope y'all 
tune back in for more of this podcast. And I hope the ad and sponsor is a good one, artichokey. Okie dokie, artichokey. Ah, break it now. I hope you like. You can check me out on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. I also have another podcast. I hope y'all enjoyed this podcast. Bye for now. Over and out.